Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this show is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meaning and work research I've been conducting over the last 15 years, and it now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm. Let me thank my media partner and sponsor first, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation and are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you. Last week, if you missed the show, you can always catch the, the, the recorded podcast. We were on the air with Principal Evan Robb of Johnson Williams Middle School in Berryville, Virginia. We talked about his passion his passion to cultivate a growth mindset among his students and faculty, his perspective that we've uh, talked ourselves as a nation into being bad at math and what we can do about that, and his use of social media to engage students and parents, among many other topics. It was a great conversation. With us this week is Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author of a book called A Dog Called Hope, A Wounded Warrior and His Service Dog Who Saved Him. Jason shares with audiences his own remarkable journey from the Special Forces to living as a wounded veteran, a Paralympic athlete, and a national speaker, and also his own inspiring message based on his story to help people navigate back from adversity. We'll be talking about his own story of serving in the military and becoming disabled and what he's learned from that experience his perspective on adversity, and the importance of service in our communities. Jason joins us today from Dallas. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is going to be a lovely conversation. I appreciate that we were connected. I think it was by Lauren Yates, and I so appreciate that she sent me sent me to you because when I went to go look at your website and see what you've been up to and hear and read about your story, I knew I had to have you on the show. So glad to have you. Um, to get us started, if you don't mind, I know a little something about you because we've talked already on the phone, but for the benefit of our listeners, would you introduce yourself and just maybe start with a little bit of a sketch of your military career? Sure. Um, Jason Morgan, I enlisted into the United States Air Force when I was 20 years old, and my job in the Air Force was a combat meteorologist. Well, my, job, or my, my job was actually called us. Uh, unicorns because there's only 70 of us to, to do our job in, in the military, so we're quite few the, called the Gray Berets. But our job was to buy, provide uh, combat weather, combat support for special operations either on or behind enemy lines. So basically, if the special forces, the Green Berets who I worked with, or other special operations, when they had missions, the first thing they do is they would contact us to give them all the weather data so they can successfully do their mission, which it might seem um, not much, but when you have, you know, lives depending on it and million-dollar assets as, such as helicopters and stuff, that it's, it's a very challenging job. And I did that for um, almost 10 years until I was injured in 1999. And now I'm, um, you know, a single dad with, with three boys that I've raised on my own and, and the help with the help of an uh, awesome service dog named Rue. 
Wow. Wow. We have so many things I'm going to ask you about all of that. So, but before we, we do that, just, I think everybody wants to better understand what happened. What, what, what happened that you became disabled? Well, it was in, um, actually I just celebrated a couple of weeks ago, my 18th year anniversary, call it my, my live day, the day that I had my injury. I was in South America and around the Colombia and Ecuador border working with the 160th Night Stalker. You might have heard them from the movie Black Hawk Down. It's also the helicopter unit that got Bin Laden recently. And they do special operations. And uh, we were down there. We were training the we were training the Ecuadorian special forces how to combat uh, the drug cartel group down there called the FARC, which is um, it's like an Al Qaeda except it's in South America. And it's an army rebel group, and they they get a lot of their money from um, from drugs, obviously, and. I also kidnap um, engineers from the UK and the US that are working down there. There's a lot of people down there, brands. So it's a it's a really bad group. And so our job down there was to train the special forces there, the local special forces, how to fight them. So in order to do that, we had to go on missions with them. And it was actually on one of those missions. We're just finishing up. We're in a uh, SUV undercover, as we always were. And I'm not sure exactly what happened. It's still um, quite sketchy, but basically our driver was trying to avoid a very dangerous situation. I was in the back seat providing security, and he sped up to try to make it around a corner and didn't make the corner. Since I was out of the back seat, I was in the back seat with my weapon trying to help out with that situation. When the vehicle started flipping down a ravine, I flipped out of the vehicle, and then it flipped over the top of me and, and crushed my back. I guess to make matters worse, it left me face down in the water and uh, unable to move with a broken back. I was um, very fortunate that an American missionary that was working in the area, he saw the vehicle at the bottom of the ravine. And when I talked to him later, he said that the only way he found me is that he uh, saw the vehicle. He wasn't sure if it was a fresh accident or not. And so him and his buddies were that he was with, they were skirting down the, the mountainside and that's the way they found me. They said it almost tripped over me because I was covered in mud and, and buried in the water. And that's the only way he found me and, and uh, brought me to safety. And it was, um, you know, I, I shouldn't have made it. And in fact, I, I wasn't, I was barely breathing. I have time to go into this a little bit, but I'll make it short. But we were, I was barely breathing. And he tried to use their cell phones and other people to stop to try to call for an ambulance. And none of the cell phones worked, but because he worked for a Christian radio station called Voice of the Andes. He used his shortwave radio to contact an ambulance in the in the U.S. Embassy of where to take us. And they said that it's going to be about three hours for the ambulance. Got there, and he said, well, this guy didn't have three hours because he has a... You know, he didn't know at the time, but he... I had one collapse long, and the other one was, was about 80% full of water. Plus, we were 14,000 feet. So he decided to load me in his van and the other injured guy and meet the ambulance halfway, and as soon as I met the ambulance, I quit breathing. So actually I went into, um, uh, I, I arrested and didn't wake up until about two months later back in the U.S. from a, from a coma. Oh, my gosh, Jason. I'm sitting here with goosebumps listening to that story. Um, I know you've told that story many, many times, and audiences like to hear you tell that story. I wanted you to tell it because I think it really sets us up for some of the conversation we're going to have around adversity. You are incredibly uniquely situated to talk about overcoming adversity. I think it's amazing that you didn't drown. I mean, the fact that you can't move, you've got a broken back, and you're emerged face down in water, it's, it is a miracle that you didn't drown as well. I mean, it's just it's crazy. Absolutely, and just thank goodness I was in good shape and in special operations. So that that in itself probably saved my life, mm-hmm. and the and the work that the doctors did over the next two months. And in fact, I arrested several times during the two months. So I'm I'm very fortunate to be here. Well, and and so what I find fascinating about that is uh, I almost researched this for my for my PhD dissertation, but the idea of just you know. Um, perseverance and being a- being able to persevere through you know things that most people what would level most people is really fascinating to me. Um, I guess I would like to ask you where where do you think that strength came from for you or why why do you think you could persevere and did persevere? Well, I think that's a good question. I think a lot of that had to do with my training in special operations. When 
you know, to do a job that only, you know, less than 1% of the guys make it through is uh, challenging itself. So you have to do things kind of above and beyond what you think you're capable of doing. It's always, it's like always a fight, always doing stuff that you, that your mind's telling you that you can't do. And I think that really had a lot to, to do with it. Although I was always kind of, I always kind of liked that. I liked it so and things that I did, but I think it might really, really helped out, made a big difference. Well, one of the one of the many reasons I wanted to have you on the show is I think we can all learn something from you about the way that you navigate adversity. I, I and, and certainly when I think about how this relates to the world of work, right? Every single day, people find themselves in adverse situations that they have to navigate through that either make them or break them. And so, Ooh. part of what right, so part of what makes your story also interesting is you get through that whole experience that you just described. And and then I know when you and I spoke on the phone, you know, sometime later in your life, you'd spent six months training for the Marine Corps Marathon when yet another tragedy struck you. Will you tell us what happened then and how you handled it? Sure. And, you know, fortunately, that was um, many years later after I was injured. Um, I don't think that's something that I probably would have made it through um, during the first part of my injury, just trying to, you know, the first few years, I was just trying to, to get by as I spent, I believe, and they, out of my first seven years, I spent three and a half years in the hospital. So it was always, you know, going through that. But so I was training for the, the Marine Corps Marathon, and it's. I told my buddies, you know, when I was 29 when I was injured, and for my 29th birthday, for your 30th birthday, you're supposed to run 30 miles in the in the unit that I was in. So it all gave me kind of a hard time. Like, yeah, you just got to hurt, so you have to you know, do your 30 miles. And I told them, I said, well, when I turn 40, I'm doing a marathon, and I really thought. I wouldn't believe it. I thought that, you know, after being injured for 15 years at that time, that, or I think it was 10 years after my injury, that they'd have a cure for paralysis or I'd just be able to do it. Well, 40 came and gone and never happened. And I started doing and something I did. And then um, a great organization came up to me and said, hey, we, we saw some of your media clips about your success in the military Paralympics. And we want to sponsor you to do the Marine Corps Marathon. And I thought about that, that I promised my buddies I'd do this marathon. I'm like, I'm great. I'd love to. I knew I needed all five months to train for this. And, you know, it's one thing, you know, to use your legs to run 26.2 miles. But now I'm just using my arms and much smaller muscles. So I, um, I guess now about two months to go before the marathon, in fact, I remember that my, um, I started off like as a medium search size. By the time I finished, I was an extra large. This is the kind of bulk and training you have to do to do one of these marathons from a, a racing chair, which a lot of people do it from the hand cycle, which is a lot easier. I, I didn't do it. I want to do it from a, a racing chair that you actually push just with your arms. And so in the middle of my training, I had a, a blister on my heel, and it, all of a sudden it got like really bad. And I decided to go to the emergency room to get it checked out. And they said that, you know, I have a bad infection in my heel from a, a blister. Apparently the bone was infected. So, you know, I was trying to figure out what that meant, and the only thing I could think about was the marathon. And they said, well, it's not a big deal. They said, we'll just scrape off the infected bone. We'll put a skin flap over it. You'll be good to go in three days. I said, good, because I have a marathon coming up in, you know, less than two months away, and it's very, very important to me. And it's something that I really not want to do, but I really, I felt like I really needed to do. And he says, no problem. He says, we'll get you an MRI, come back in three days when the MRI is red and, and we'll get you, you know, scheduled and get this thing done so you can get back training again. But when I came back in three days, um, the surgeon came up to me and in the waiting room and he says, you know, there's no easy way to put this, but uh, the bone's been infected. It's a lot worse than we thought. It spread and my strong recommendation to you is to amputate your leg. And those words just kind of hit me. It's something I wasn't expecting at all. And I was there actually with my, my service dog. And, and he said, or we can try to treat it. it. might take up to a year. And we still not be able to save your leg. So he said, I'll leave you for a few minutes and, and uh, I'll come back. And when I left, I was just kind of staring at my dog. And, and my dog, is he knows me, it's almost like we can read each other. We spend 24-7 with each other. He actually got up on my lap and kind of looking at me. I know this might sound strange, but he kind of looked at me. He's like, you know what, buddy, we can do this. And so the doctor came back in, 
And, you know, I, and I felt like I had two choices there. It's like, one, either I could, you know, my dreams that I've always done, I don't think anyone would ever second-guess knowing that I'm having to have my leg amputated right before the marathon. Or we can get this leg amputated, I could still do and I figured that would really help my healing. And so I told him, I said, well, let's go ahead and schedule this. Let's schedule it as soon as possible because I want to do this marathon. And he first kind of told me that it's a very good possibility. I'm not going to be able to do it. He said, it's a very extensive surgery. You know, you'll be in the hospital for a couple of weeks. You're on ditches. You're not going to be able to really move around a lot. But I said, medically, would I be able to? And he said, you know, I think so. And that's all I needed to hear. So we went in, had the surgery done. Um, it was a lot tougher than I thought. I remember when they first um, uh, redid the bandage. Actually, I put a blanket where my leg was. I had it amputated just below the knee. And I put a blanket there just so I didn't have to deal with it or see it. But a couple of days later, when they had to change the bandage, and I saw it. I just kind of broke down, I guess, the reality of having part of your body taken from you hit me a lot harder than I thought it would, even knowing that I'm already a paraplegic and paralyzed from the waist down. And I'm just like, well... And all I could think about, I just want to get back in the gym and start training. And so I, the doctors, I ended up staying for a week instead of two weeks. I got in the hospital a lot quicker. Um, the prosthetic guys made a special brace for my leg that covered my leg with the stitches so I could, wouldn't hurt it any or get any type of infection. And I was back in the gym two days after my, I uh, got out of the hospital 10 days after my surgery, back in the surgery training. And I found out that I lost a lot. I mean, spending that much time in the hospital and having extensive surgery like that, I was nowhere near at the the shape that I was in when I started my training again. And but I'm like, I know I can do it all day. I'm going to do this. And so we first scheduled. It looks like we're going to do about seven, a little over seven minute miles, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. And but me and my teammates, we littered up. My trainers, we littered up and went to Washington D.C. to get this marathon. And and I found out that. Um, Hurricane Sandy was expected to hit the day after the marathon. So they came to the marathon, they're expecting 45 mile hour winds. It really makes it hard to push because my hands, the friction, they slide really bad. I'm just like, oh my God, you're just going to make this as hard on me as you can. But, you know, the harder things is, the better the reward. And I remember mm-hmm. that I was pushing through there, and there was some of my um, mile times I was, went back and looked at it were almost 12 minutes that, and then that was up down against the wind, and sometimes were less than four minutes, so marathon, to say the least, and, but, you know, I remember when I was about on mile marker 22, I was, my gloves were breaking down, I was really struggling, and the people that were, they jumped on the corner and found me and ran, inspiring me the rest of the way, and I remember crossing that finish line is one of the greatest things that, that I ever did. And I felt like then it's like, you know what, I made it. It's like, you know, I've gone through adversity before and it's really hit me, but this was probably the worst I've gone through since my injury. And I was still able to do this and to fulfill my dream. I kind of felt like that this was kind of my, my proving point that I don't think there's anything out there that could really set me back anymore. Like, like what first happened when I first got injured. And I even had to be lifted off of my, racing chair and put on a, a cot for the next three hours to ice my back on because I couldn't even move, you know, even from the my back, which is, was gone, and I was aching so bad, but you know, it's something I'll never forget. It's it's definitely a high point in my life. Wow, Jason. Um, perfect time for us to t- cut for a quick break. That was an amazing story. Um, I'm going to probably ask you to see if you can call back in because you're 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 breaking up, you're breaking up quite a bit there. But we'll take a quick break here. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author of A Dog Called Hope, a wounded warrior and the service dog who saved him. Recently, he has been an ardent spokesperson for the training of service dogs to enhance the lives of individuals with disabilities through his association with Canine Companions for Independence. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We'll talk more after the break about how we can overcome adversity, among other things as well, and, and what's happening in the lives of vets. Stay with us. It's- 
Elevate your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author. He served in the Air Force as part of the 10th Combat Weather Squadron, completed Air Force Weather School before joining the Elite Special Operations Aviation Regiment, a unit within the Green Berets, as a combat meteorologist. After his injury, he participated in the Warrior Games, a competition for wounded and injured service members and veterans. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Before the break, we were talking about some of those situations in terms of how he he got his injury and then, of course, when he had his leg amputated. Um, For this next segment here, I want to talk about veterans and also your perspective on overcoming adversity, Jason. So first, um, for our listeners who don't know much about this, I found this quite fascinating. You told me on the phone that... A problem we face as a nation is that 22 veterans commit suicide each day. So help us understand what's driving these frightening figures. What's going on for these people? You know, I wish I could, I, you know, and that's something I'm trying to understand more is, um, but yeah, when, when someone first told me that, I thought it was a mistake. I thought, it, you know, there's no way that could be. But, you know, even myself, I've gone too far for many, far too many funerals after, you know, people when they're, out of conflict from, you know, taking their own life, and it's it's tragic, and it just has to win. So I've been trying to look in that more. I'm, you know, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I think a lot of these guys that I've talked to that really go into a lot of depression, that a lot of them they felt like they lost their their purpose in life. That all they known is the military, and they they loved it, and they felt like that they had a purpose there, a job that you can't find anywhere else, and. I think when they go through a, a severe or significant injury like mine, that they just kind of feel like they just they lose hope and they lose purpose. I think that's a lot of things. And the other thing, obviously, is, you know, PTSD, which I have in a small amount, so I can't relate to some of these guys. But some of the things they go through, I, I just don't think they, they can overcome them. They just, the resources aren't there or they haven't been able to find the resources to, to overcome it. And it seems like to them, they're hurting so bad on the inside that it's their only option. Wow. Well, this might be a good time to talk about what you've identified as the importance of finding resources. It's obviously you've been able to do that, but can you comment on how you managed to find them for yourself? And how do you recommend other vets look to find resources or even the everyday people that are out in the workplace? How would you recommend that? Well, you know, for me, it's just, you know, I've been a chair now for 18 years. So basically mine came over just by actively searching and just over time and learning. But, you know, there's a lot, you know, there's there's ways to do that much quicker. Um, that's why, you know, I started my foundation too. But I think the biggest thing is for people just not be afraid to ask for help. I mean, people don't want to admit they're going through tough times and stuff. And I, we all go through it, some more than others, but they all affect us the same. And I think the best thing is to reach out to others and, and find answers as people that have been there, done it. And that's, I think, the best person that you can learn from, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I think I think this goes back to something that I talk about frequently on this show and in other conversations, just the importance of having a coach or somebody else in your life who can give you another perspective or say, How, what about this? Or have you checked into this? Or just someone to bounce things off of, I would think, would be incredibly helpful as well. Absolutely. And I don't think we need to be scared 
when we see our friends that we feel that they're hurting to not be scared to go up to them and tell them, hey, you know, I'm here for you. What What do you need? And almost be a little persistent, too. I think that that makes a difference as well as I had people and, and family and friends do that for me as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you said something back before about this notion of some of these, these vets losing purpose. And, and you told me that through all your setbacks that we've been talking about on this show, that you found your own purpose through all your adversity and now live to inspire others to persevere through their own setbacks. Will you say more about that? That's quite, a, quite an interesting thing that you've been able to do to juxtapose or find two very distinct ways of addressing purpose for yourself. For sure. I think I want to use an example is that there's a term that I don't think it's used very often and something that I don't really like to admit, but there's a term called the professional wounded warrior. And that's a guy that when we go, I do a lot of events for veterans and help out a lot of events for veterans because I have a lot to offer. And I see some of these same guys at the same places at all these different events. It's like, what can you give me? What can you do for me? And those are the guys that aren't getting better. And I tell them, I said, you know what, if you want to get better, then why don't you find one of these organizations that you really like and get plugged in and start working with them and do that to help others. Because that's what I found out was my, gave me purpose and what gave me identity back in life is that I'm using my struggles and stuff to, to help others and make a difference in others, you know, other people's lives. So I think that's the biggest thing you could do is to, to get back. That's where you're going to find more meaning, I think, than anything I've ever done. Well, and certainly another reason I wanted to have you on the show, of course, Jason, is that, you know, what's the name of the show? Working on Purpose. And that's a double entendre. That means that for people who are trying to find a way to work toward a more purposeful place in their lives, that's one. The other piece is just doing it very intentionally is what I mean by that. So um, one of the things that I also thought was interesting that kind of relates to some reading that I've done lately is um, Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And my guess is a few of the listeners who are listening to this show probably have picked up on it or maybe have already read it. But but I connect this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. ...idea to what I think is your position overcoming adversity. I mean, she talks about, um, on the short, really, that... Well, actually, you said something about um, sometimes life is not going to get better when you're down. And so I think in general, and certainly in the world of work, wrapping our heads around this idea and trying to figure out how to deal with it is critical to mental health and really ultimately success. And so she's all about perseverance and passion and that grit piece of it. And I relate that to how you talk about overcoming adversity. Do you see it the same way or differently? Yeah, absolutely. I think the people that say, you know, people say, well, it can't get any worse. Um, I think if you have that attitude and really feel that way, it's going to get worse. I think that's something that, um, you know, is is for me. And, and you talked about, you know, the passing is, you know, is that for me, what helps me is that I almost, you almost should expect adversity. And, and if you know it's coming, you'll be better prepared for it and learn from it and, and find a way to move on. Um, I think that's the best way. I, I, it's something you have to, to work at. It's not going to get any better if you're just, hanging around and just thinking it can't get any worse. It's something you really have to to look at and, and strategize to think, how am I going to make my life better? How am I going to make this situation better and start working on it? I think that's really the only way it's going to get better or your, your best chances. Yeah, your mental, your ment- the, the health of a mental mindset is, is so crucial. I completely embrace that whole idea, Jason, completely. Why do you think that many of us fall prey to giving into adversity, though? Why don't we charge back? Uh, I don't know. I, I was never a person just to kind of give in to my situation. I, I did it first, and, you know, after I got injured, I spent um, a year in the hospital and came back as a single dad and, and had to raise three people, three three boys. They were very young at the time, and I just thought, wow, this is just 
instead of looking at it as like, you know, what was me, I think that's what a lot of people do is, um, I think they just kind of, you know, this is horrible and they just kind of feel sorry for themselves. And I think the way I looked at it is like, in a way, I found that the good in my wife leaving, I know that was really hard to do, as I could barely even take care of myself, much less three boys. But that's what gave me the motivation to get better. It's like, I got to get better. I got to get healthy because I have three boys that are counting on me, you know, that, that need me as a father to raise them. I'm not going to, I can't use my wheelchair as an excuse or my paralysis saying why I couldn't raise my boys. So for me, I just kind of look, look the other way. I try to find motivate, motivational factors and look at the good side of things instead of um, just feeling sorry for myself, which is uh, unfortunately what a lot of people do. They kind of fall into to prey of adversity and feel like they can't um, get past it. Wow. Okay. So I heard one thing in particular that I want to call out, and that is, Jason, that sounds to me like one of the things that you did was you cast your eyes to a higher plane than, than your right. own circumstance, right? So sometimes right. when we look beyond our own immediate needs, I've heard people say that you know they, they can do amazing things because they're no longer focused on themselves. They're focused on the good or something that's bigger or more important or more powerful or has more meaning than just their own immediate lives. That's kind of what I heard you say. Is that right? It is. You said it so much better, so I'm going to take notes when you saying that next time I speak to my <laughs> yeah. audience. But yeah, absolutely. When you, you know, there's always, I mean, usually when I'm in the room, I'm usually the worst off as I, I deal with significant pain. I sometimes go days without sleeping, and and it's really easy for me to, to feel sorry for myself. But sometimes, you know, when I work with these other foundations, I see guys that are so much worse than me, and I see quadriplegics who, like, you know, Jason, I'd give anything to be able to use my arms like you do or anything like that. And, and yes, when you when you put your focus on, on other people, you're not only helping them, right, but it takes your, your focus away from yourself, as you so mm-hmm. eloquently put it. But, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Well, let me address something, speaking of what you just said about your own condition there. Um, and I think I'm, I'm asking this question for my own benefit and that for my listeners as well. I hear your your breathing is labored. I mean, it sounds like you're it, you've got something happening there. Are you is you are you dealing with something in the way that you're breathing? Yeah, I have uh, right now going through a lot of pain, so it it pretty much takes my breath away. It's like someone stabbed me with a nice pick. To it's, That's um, what it, it's tough. So I'm gonna, I'm going to bear with you here and get through it. I really don't have a choice. I mean, it happens all the time. So. I wanted to call that out. I didn't know what the answer was going to be to that question. But I, again, that even further situates that you are uniquely qualified to talk about overcoming adversity and just charging through. So uh, the next thing I want to ask you is if you have any suggestions or, or ideas, or maybe you do this in your talks, on how people can develop their muscle to better handle or even confront adversity. I think it's a combination for a lot of things. You know, I said before is one thing is, is to expect it. You know, and as they say, it, you know, prepare for the worst, but expect the best or something like that. But, you know, if you're prepared for adversity, if you know that it's probably going to happen, then when it happens, it's not so bad. And then, you know, and then when it does come, instead of, you know, getting down about it, figure out a way, you know, what can I do to change my situation? Some, unfortunately, sometimes there's nothing you can do, but just have a positive outlook, but that's good enough in itself. But sometimes there are things that, that you can do and so um you know definitely you know expect it and and prepare yourself and, and learn from it and usually you know when you go through adversity know and try to be positive about it that you're going to come out more on top than you were before so expect mm-hmm. better results if you do go through adversity mm-hmm mm-hmm do you have a perspective or anything you that you can share with us about how to really work on your mind? I mean, you clearly have an I would consider it an extraordinary ability to to address or not control maybe, but just stay in a very healthy place in terms of your mindset. Well, I think a lot really helped me was uh, you know, getting back in shape again when I did that marathon and getting back in shape to have your your to be healthy in general, I think it's going to help you have a a healthy mind and um, that I noticed that affected me a big way is to is to be healthy and and you know I, I don't sleep very well so I try to get sleep and and eat right I think that plays a big um, big part of it and you 
you know, but the biggest thing that's really helped me that I've used to help others is just find an organization that you're good at or that you like and get involved and and um, work on helping other people. I think my done, you know, it does several things for you. It gets you the, and you don't do it because you want to feel good. You do it to help others, but helping others makes me always feel good, knowing that I'm using what I've learned and the things I've gone through to, to help others overcome similar situations. I think those are probably the two two things that's helped me the most. I completely concur with those things, and I do them both myself, so I'm encouraged to hear that. I, I work out six days a week, and I do a fair amount of community service, and it really does change your perspective on your own circumstances when you're focused on somebody else and from a healthy vantage point. I love what you said there. Um, and, and it makes me also wonder, when you when you talk to audiences, I, I'm curious. I mean, i got to guess that part of what you try to impart is what you just said there. But what is it that you are really trying to impart through your book or through your speaking that you think that you really want to get across to audiences when you speak to them? Well, I hope that they, they get from it. It's like nothing is, is too difficult for you to overcome. And, you know, that it's like I'd bounce back out, I'd hit with, reverse it again and try to bounce back and get hit again that you know that you can get through it if you have the right tools and and everything in place that that you can get through this and um and and even overcoming adversity or not what makes this country so great i think is is that the americans here they they volunteer and, and they help other people and like for me to go snow skiing after i was in a wheelchair it took four volunteers for every um participant to snow ski and you know that's huge and that's i think that's what makes this country so great is that there's so many people out there helping and helping our disabled veterans that you know people always thank me for my service but i always tell them that it's you that make this country worth fighting for and just feel blessed to live in such a great country wow um that is an incredible way to send us into a break jason that is such a humble perspective to have from someone like you. Uh, I'm so glad to have you with me. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author of A Dog Called Hope, a wounded warrior and the service dog who saved him. Recently, he has been an ardent spokesperson for the training of service dogs to enhance the lives of individuals with disabilities through his association with Canine Companions for Independence. He joins us today from Dallas, Texas. After the break, we'll talk more about his notion of service and giving back to the community, among other things. Stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan, who is a motivational speaker and best-selling author. He served in the Air Force as part of the, the 10th Combat Weather Squadron, completed Air Force Weather School before joining the Elite Special Operations Aviation Regiment, a unit within the Green Berets, as a combat meteorologist. After his injury, he participated in the Warrior Games, a competition for wounded and injured service members and veterans. We've been talking a bit about this experience that he's had. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. 
So for this last final segment here, Jason, I wanted to focus really on this notion of service and giving back to the community. I know that's really important to to you and what your the message that you impart to listeners. Um, and you told me that you've learned a lot about service from your dog, Rue. So first, how is it that you and Rue came to be a pair? Well, Rue is my, my second service dog. And actually, um, the book is is about my first service dog, Nepal. And unfortunately, when the author uh, flew in from London to write the story, it was the time that my um, um, Nepal passed away. And now I got this incredible dog um, named Rue. And I got her from Ken Academies for Independence. Um, I went out to California and got her and, and stayed out there for a couple of weeks and worked with several dogs. And, and they pair you with the best dog based on the dog temperament and your own personality. And they do an extremely great job of, of matching you with the perfect dog. And she is, she is my buddy, my best friend. Oh my gosh, that's so lovely. I'm, that just really, that, that just really touches me to hear you talk about her that way. Um, and we're talking about my favorite subject now, so. Yeah, okay, good. So, <laughs> all right. Well, um, tell us about Rue and how she teaches you about service. Well, you know, Rue is, she's, is, she was bred to serve and, you know, to be a service dog. And she does, um, um, she knows like over 50 commands, but a lot of things she does real quick is she can turn light switches on and off. She can open and close doors for me. Uh, we'll, she can pull my wheelchair she my clothes out of the dryer. She can't fold them yet, but we're we're working on that. On that, but uh, you'll <laughs> probably get awesome. it pretty soon. Um, but there's a, a number of different tasks that she does. Gets me dates. That's probably my my favorite one. When you take this beautiful dog into a place that dogs aren't typically allowed, it it does help in that way. But but you know, <laughs> having her serve and do things for me, I I learned a lot from that. And that so like if I drop something like my keys, I don't even have to give her the command. She cannot. Or sometimes she waits, but when I drop it. She, like, looks down at my keys and looks at me, and her tail just starts wagging. Like, she gets so excited. And I learned that, like, she loves to serve. She loves to do that. She likes for me to 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 do something where she can help me. And I'm like, you know, that's something I could really learn from. And, you know, I, I thought about that. I thought that, you know, I, I'd be speaking to a lot of audience, some of them that, you know, like Lions Clubs and stuff, where that's all they do is community service. But I tell him, I said, probably the most qualified person to talk about service in this room is my dog, Rue. But I also tell him that probably the happiest person in this room is my dog, Rue. That just made me think that, you know, to, to serve with a smile on your face, and she loves to serve, and I, I really learned from that, that we should serve and help others. And, you know, if we had to tell that it would just like hers does. And I thought that was pretty significant. Mm. Mm. Well, that certainly does. You do. You have a, a tremendous teacher there in, in, in your best friend, and I, I really admire and applaud that. And again, it touches me to hear you talk about her the way that you do. It's, and I also, as you as you heard me giggle, I got a big kick out of the fact that she helps you get dates too. I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're kidding me, I'll help you get. So I'll take it. You know, right. So. I know. We all yeah. need help in that department. There's I know. Never, you know, there's never a stranger and. You know, it's just really neat, and that really always puts me in a good mood when I take her places. Let's say I'm having a lot of pain or feeling down. Well, people come up and they see your dog, and they just get all excited. And it's like when there's when you're around other people and they're in a good mood, it's going to put you in a good mood too. So it's just it's endless the things that she does for me, both physically and and mentally. Mm, wonderful, delightful. Yeah. Well, speaking of what she does, I want to talk about some of the things that you do for others. I, I know that you work with w- wounded veterans and disabled kids, and I'm curious as to what that work means to you. What what do, what do you get out of doing that kind of work? Oh, it's uh, that's everything to me. It's it's when I started doing work like that to help our our veterans and kids with disabilities. Um, that's what gave me purpose in life again. It gave me, you know, the strength to to move on knowing that you're making a difference in someone else's life is, is huge, absolutely huge. There's really probably no words that I could could tell you on this radio show, but it's it's huge. Well, I think that most people, from what I could tell, Jason, and the research that I've done for the last 15 years in investigating how people experience meaning in their work and what does their work mean to who they are as a human being, in other words, their identity, what that inquiry has taught me is that most people really do want to make a difference. They want to know that their lives have made a difference to other people, that that their being here mattered. 
and even beyond, you know, whatever spiritual connection they have, there's that connection. But just knowing that, hey, I made a difference is, is a pretty powerful motivational force for, I think, most people. And the reason that I like to do the show, among others, is that many people say that some of the guests help them find or get closer to finding a purpose for themselves through their work that makes them want to get up in the morning. So I... I do understand what you're saying, and I really appreciate just the simplicity of what you just said about why it matters to you. Yes, I mean, if, you know, when we all pass away and you have your eulogy, it's, I think the biggest compliment you give someone was about how, how they touched others, how they made a difference in other, other uh, people's lives. I think that's the biggest compliment you could give to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're coming close to the edge of the, at the end of the show here, and I want to be sure and talk about, about the book here. Um, so the book, again, is called uh, A Dog Called Hope, um, A Wounded Warrior and the Service Dog Who Saved Him. So I, and I know that it's, it's out in seven different countries already, which is amazing to me. So I, I want to understand, first, how did the book come about to, to be? Because I know that you had, somebody wrote the book for you. Um, and what does it mean to you? Well, at first, I um, it, the way this all came about was that uh, it was my first dog that I had in Nepal, and him and I were on the National Geographic channel called Amazing Dogs. Oh, wait, I should probably clarify that. My dog was on the National Geographic. I was just there just kind of helping him in his <laughs> handler, but uh, it's always about the dog and the service. Anyway, it aired in London, and this great author named Damian Lewis um, saw the story and there was a, a small um, book written about those segments of stories called Amazing Dogs. And then he contacted me and told me, you know, hey, I'm a writer and I've written several books um, similar to this and he's a best-selling author and he sent me some of his books and I read them and thought if there's anyone to write my book, it would be him. And six months later, he flew down to Texas from London to, to start writing the book and it took um, a couple of sessions like that where he came down and spent three or four weeks with me and we spent almost 24-7, you know, going over the book, and he would go back home and then fill in the blanks and come back, and we'd check it, and I guess it took um, close to about a year, and it's it's pretty amazing. I When he first contacted me and said he wanted to write my story, I told him, I said, well, you know, it's it's probably, you know, it's great for 20 minutes for me or 40 minutes when I speak to audiences and stuff, but I think for a novel, I told him, I thought you're really uh, wasting your time. There's just not enough information here. And, um, I'm glad he didn't listen to me as it's already become a bestseller and just uh, very well written. It was tough being written, too. I Actually, um, at first, I almost regretted telling all my secrets and not like military secrets, but stuff that was really upsetting to me that I didn't discuss with anyone that even my family members didn't even know. And But he had a good way of getting that out of me. He said, look, Jason, you know, we got to make this real. So to make the high points seem high, then the low's got to be low, you know. And so we got to make it real and, and truthful, and that's the way it needs to be. And um, and I listened to him, and as difficult as it was, um, ended up uh, ended up writing a great book. I'm very proud of it. I'm wondering, Jason, is that what launched your speaking career, or were you already speaking at that point? I was already speaking um, a little bit, but it it sure has uh, helped it out quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I've already, you know, I, at first I thought that, you know, the book would kind of give me more credibility as a, as a speaker and it would help my motivational speaking, but actually it kind of turned the way around. It seems like now that I'm now speaking, you know, for my book, because there's so much in there and I think lessons learned and, and, and things that I like for people to learn from me that I went through that now kind of my career is really based on my book instead of. I thought it was going to be the other way around. Mm. I really appreciate what you said about the fact that you've got you've bo- you've you've bared your soul out in this book, and it's it's the good, bad, and the ugly, and you've you've it's all there in print for everybody to read, and that has got to be a whole new level of living to know that people know these things about your about you. Is it? It is, and it's not, you know, and it's not just about me. There's, it's about the, the puppy raiser that raised Nepal, and, you know, he was a paraplegic, Jim, was it, that raised Nepal, and it's about him raising Nepal and having to give him up. And then it's also um, my my family's in there, too, is that when I went to a coma for two months, I had no idea what went on, and my mom ended up making a lot of notes, and that's a 
big part of the story too. So it's not just from from my perspective, but it's from other people, um, others as well. So it's it's pretty fascinating to get different perspectives on the on the same story. Mm. Do you hear from readers at all? Do you ever hear from readers who get something from your book and reach out to you? You know, all the time. I on my Facebook and on my my website, I, I hear from people all the time. And you know, first I told you I had some. Um, actual regret writing the story. When I was in London on our book tour, a guy on a, on a bike that was riding down, we were right in the middle of London, and he stopped and he said, I guess he was following me on Facebook because he just read my, my book or following me on my website. And he stopped and he goes, is that Rue from A Dog Called Hope? And I was like, couldn't believe this guy recognized me from my book. And uh, There's pictures in the book as well because I don't do books without pictures. So I'm just kidding. But so we, so it was weird that having this, of course, he didn't remember my name. He remembered Rue's name. He goes, I can't remember your name, but I, I know Rue's name. And I'm like, yeah, of course. But, you know, when he started talking to me, and I, this in a while, I was like, here's a stranger that knows everything about what I've done and my deep secrets that I don't even, didn't even tell my close family members. And I had a little bit of regret. But then when I got home and after the book was launched, I get messages every day about how my story really inspired them. And, help them overcome a lot of things in their life that they were dealing with. And, you know, I had to realize, like, it's not about me. This book was about to help others, and and then it made it, you know, all worth it. As tough as it was, it was definitely worth it. No regrets, no. Mm, I'm so glad to hear yeah, that, I, Jason. I get a lot of feedback, and I, and I write to, I respond to every single person that reaches out to me as well. Mm. Well, I hope you get a few people who reach out to you after the show as well. So here we are at the close already, Jason. It goes by so fast. Wow. And I always like to give my, my guests the last word, if you will. So remembering that this program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their with the work and helping organizations do the same for their employees. What would you like to leave our listeners with in maybe 30 seconds? Sure. Well, you know, the biggest thing is to, you know, expect adversity and use that as an asset. When I was in the combat meteorologist we use the weather, good and bad, as an asset. So, you know, I think you can use that as an asset. You can learn from it. You can go out there and find resources and, and find tools like I found Nepal and Rue, which has helped me tremendously. And it's something you got to work at. Life's just not going to get better. And I think, lastly, is that you just need to keep yourself in, in good mental and physical condition, which will really help you think better and, and uh, stay on your feet, so to speak, and um, to overcome the situations that that arise because they will happen. Great way to close the show, Jason. I so appreciate having you on the show, Staff Sergeant Jason Morgan. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Really enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about Jason and the work he does, visit his website. It's www.ssgtjasonmorgan.com. Again, www.ssgtjasonmorgan.com. Join us next week when we talk with Mary Shores, who is the author of Conscious Communications, your step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. We'll be talking about the neuroscience behind words and her perspective on cleansing or clogging ourselves in our diets, at work, and really everything we do in life, among other things. See you next week. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <music>